Welcome to the Renewed Church Podcast, where we attempt to have honest and authentic conversations around Jesus and his mission. I want to welcome all of our viewers and our listeners today. We have a very special podcast. We're starting kind of a new season for the Renewed Church Podcast, and we're kicking off this season uh, in the middle of a church series called Unity. And so during the series, we are talking about how unity starts with you, and the goal is to have different conversations with different people who are part of our church or are part of our community around the topic of unity and striving towards unity because we believe that Jesus has that for us, asks that of us, and expects us to lead our cultures and our communities in striving towards that. So today I have a very exciting conversation that I get to have with two people who are friends of mine and I've gotten to know uh, over the few years and work alongside in different areas of ministry here at Renew Church. Today we have Deandra Henry across the table. Welcome. You guys all know Deandra from singing on Sunday mornings, Mayfield West on the live stream. I've been in here a few times. Yeah, I've been here for a few times. It's been a lovely experience. Yeah, it has. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we also have my friend Luke over here. How you doing, Andrew? Welcome, Luke. Uh, Luke, Lucas, Luke. I call you by both sometimes. Hi, uh, Luke. Luke. That's what I go by. Yeah, so Luke is here. Um, Luke has served in our youth program. Some of you guys would know him within the junior high program. Luke has also served uh, in the band at Mayfield West over the last couple years. I think you guys went to church together, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We both went to the same church before we started going to Renew. So I convinced them to come to Renew, actually. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, no, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was Jesus that convinced the Holy Spirit. It yeah. Wasn't you know what? Yeah. Be, if, it's, if that's the reason, then yes. I was going to say Josh, but okay. We go oh, with that Josh. One. It was yeah. Josh. We go with that one, but yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You know what? Every, almost every move I've made in ministry is because of following Josh. So, <laughs> except for our West, haven't done that. But um, yeah. So, we're excited to have you guys here. I'm honestly excited about this conversation. This conversation comes. Comes um, from a history of conversations that we've started, some longer than others. Just so you guys know, um, for those who are viewing or who are listening, uh, over the last I don't know seven months or so. I don't, I don't remember the first time we got together. It was some time in the summer, Luke, that I we think got it was together. June. Yeah, it was June. It wasn't. Yeah. It? And we got together at a Tim Hortons. Luke and I got together to talk about race-related things because that was just after the George Floyd stuff, the Breonna Taylor stuff, I believe. No, it was August then. <laughs> it was August then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, we started a conversation because you were posting some stuff on mm. social media. A lot of people I knew who were posting stuff on social media. I was seeing all of the posts on social media. I was like, is anybody having conversations with each other here? <laughs> like, what are we, are we talking, you know? And so I reached out and uh, you were like, yeah, of course, let's talk. And so we hung out at Tim Hortons, it was like three hours, wasn't it? Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we sat out in the rain for a little bit and then it was sunny again and it started raining and yeah, it was an interesting day. Actually, you know what? People will remember that weekend because I think this live stream that Sunday, I was red as a lobster and people were like, where did you get so sunburned? People <laughs> were mocking me for not wearing sunscreen. And it was literally that conversation because I was in the, in the sun, sun at, in, in the Tim Hortons outside at the, at the thing for, for three hours talking to you. So yeah, that, that was my fault. I wasn't sunburned. So no, you did great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't yeah. relate. Yeah, I can't relate at all. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was, that was then. And we've had an ongoing conversation uh, that's continued online. And we've also called each other in person a couple of times now mm -hmm. to talk about just race-related things because this is what's been coming up a lot. And we we're talking about what does it mean to actually be the church, to be unified, to produce unity in the midst of all this division that, you know, we'll talk about maybe later in this podcast about that has been there 
all along that we haven't really addressed or that is heating up not because it's new, but because it's finally being talked about more openly or more publicly. And so that's the conversation we've had going uh, over the last quite a few months. And I thought, who better to have a conversation with on a podcast about it than the person we've engaged with and been talking to. So thanks for being here. And then DeAndre, you've had a conversation, an ongoing conversation about the same sort of stuff with Pastor Bartley. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, I think... Similarly, you know, everybody knows kind of what's been going on Mm -hmm. um, in the world, especially, you know, since the George Floyd incident as well. And I think Pastor Barley had sent out an email and it really struck a nerve with me. I felt like he was had this like inviting kind of plea in it. And I was like, oh, perfect. I'm going to email him back. So then I wrote this long email. And then since then, he's just been super open. We started just having conversations about this stuff quite a few actually that's been just for me so impactful, so informative just to know that the the leadership team here is actually opening and welcoming to have these kind of discussions that are so, so pertinent. Mm. Um, so for me, yeah, I was just like really, really, um, you know, just comforted by that mm. in a sense, just knowing that I could be that open and vulnerable because we've, we've gotten to some areas that, you know, has always been super scary for me to share with somebody else. So to, to have that kind of communication with him has been really, really awesome. I think that's so rich. And I think what we Luke and I have talked about is that like conversation is not where it ends because you're not really solving anything by having a conversation. You're starting with solutions, but it needs to at least get there at some point. I remember the last conversation I had on a podcast about this very issue back at the, in the summer with friends of mine. I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, one of the things that came up was that it felt like my black friends were talking to each other about this issue mm-hmm. and my white friends weren't talking about it because we, you know, to us, it wasn't as much of a thing. It wasn't a felt experience. So we weren't talking about it, but my black friends were talking to each other, but they weren't talking to us about it. It was like the first time that either of these guys who I grew up with going to school with for years, these are super close friends, had yeah. ever actually had the conversation with me and it was on a podcast that I invited them in on <laughs> because it, there just wasn't conversation happening about yeah. it. And so I think at least the fact that we're getting there is important and it's yeah. great to hear. It's inspiring to hear and it's exciting to hear. And like we've said, Luke, is like, well, that's the beginning. That's not the end. That's not, yeah. the, that's not the goal. The goal is much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. The goal is equality and indifference and uh, inequality and like actually achieving what Christ has for us as the church, which mm-hmm. is to be totally unified Amen. and treat one another as complete and utter equals in uh, the name of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're getting to, but this is the start of it. Before we get into that conversation or more deeply into that conversation, because there's some stuff that we have talked about talking about, I want people to get familiar with you because I get to do this all the time and people might know my story a little bit more because I've been around Renew Church for a lot longer and then I talk way too much on Sunday mornings um, now. So so I don't want to, I want people to hear your story. I want to hear your experience and I want to hear your upbringing so that they're familiar with you because I think a lot of people might be loosely and even people who went to Mayfield West may not really know your story. I didn't know until I asked. And so I want to hear it. So Luke, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your story, not just your connection with Renew Church, but growing up in the area you grew up in and, and what life was like for you as a young person, as you developed into an adult. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up in Brampton. I was born, um, born in Brampton, grew up there, raised there. Uh, my community was fairly diverse um, growing up from what I can remember. Um, you know, going to school, um, even from a young age, I was one of the only black kids in my class. In fact, from first grade up until third grade, I'd say I was the only black guy in my um, classroom. Um, And from then, I didn't really take much notice of that. It didn't really matter to me Mm. um, at the time. I mean, looking back as an adult, I could see some situations where, you know, race would come up. But, you know, when you're a kid, you're innocent. You don't really think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, That, I guess, changed when I was about 12, 13 years old. 
um, you know, I joined the Army Cadets, um, and at that point is where I guess I started to really take notice of my skin color and uh, my difference from people. Um, you know, I guess I was always the person who just tried to like everybody, be everybody's friend. Um, not really from a point of trying to fit in. It was like I grew up in a Christian home, so mm-hmm. I was just raised, you know, treat people well, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, just very basic principles like that. And that's just what I kind of carried um, everywhere I went. So, um, you know, when I, when I get to that point, when I'm in the Army Cadets, going to summer camps and stuff, and I'm the only black guy, I was in the Pipes and Drums program, so, like, you know, we got bunch of white guys who've been wearing kilts for years and you got one black guy who's putting on a kilt. Who's a metal the, drummer right. with a double kick I wasn't, or there, I wasn't there yet. Oh, you were there? It's what, kind of where it started. But, okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a kilt with all these guys and, you know, all of a sudden I'm starting to hear a lot of racial slurs that, you know, um, it sucked, but I didn't really know how to process it at the time. I guess I just kind of trained myself to ignore it, to mm. make it not really matter at the time. As much as it hurt, I, I won't deny that it hurt, mm. but I just kind of went through with it and just, you know, try to blend in, try to fit in, try to be everybody's friend and be cool with everybody. Right. Um, now in the back of my mind there, it's like, you know, you guys are gonna poke at the fact that I'm the black drummer, but I'm gonna make sure I'm better than every single one of you mm. and make sure it's understood that there is nothing you could do to stop me from being the best here. Yeah, so that motivated so, you. So yeah, it was, it was a motivation for sure. Even though it was negative, sure. it was motivation. Yeah, it was a motivation for sure. And, but, um, you know, what ended up happening is when I went back home to Brampton, um, I guess I slowly started to disconnect myself from my black friends, mm. um, the few that I had, really. Um, I remember my church, my home church, D'Angelo was there as well. I think this is about time where um, your dad started taking over as a youth pastor. Um, it was a predominantly black youth group. The church started becoming a black church despite having a white pastor hmm. leading the, the congregation. Um, over time, I started to realize I didn't really fit in with black people because I was so focused on trying to fit in with, with the white people. Right, right. Um, I learned to speak their language. I learned how to, to act like them, you know, um, to listen to, you know, country music and stuff like that, ba- uh, ba- uh, bagpipe music, hmm. you know, things like that to the point where, um, you know, I, I, I try to connect with my black friends and that just wasn't happening. Hmm. Um, so eventually I kind of found a balance about maybe high school, mid high school, late high school, I started finding a balance there on how to, I guess, kind of switch in and out, depending on what kind of crowd I was hanging out with. Um, and I guess towards university is when I just said, you know, forget it. Um, I discovered heavy metal around that time as well. Yeah. Um, got really into that. And that just started to become what I enjoyed, that um, music and, and, and community. Um, and things started to get a bit better. I'd say, I'd say the heavy metal community is the best community I've, I've ever come across because that's the one place where, you know, my, my race, my, um, my faith, age, sex didn't really matter anymore. Hmm. It didn't, it, nobody cared. Um, it's Which just, I think would actually surprise people because at least, and this could be a total misconception, mm-hmm. but at least growing up when I, um, when I would interact with kids who were into heavy metal, mm-hmm. uh, they were typically to me that they seemed like very specific and niche and also like race-wise, very specific and niche. Like, it was mostly white kind of kids who were a little bit, like, depressed. I don't know. I'm not saying that right. But you know what I mean? And I'm not saying you. I'm just saying when you tell me that that was the most inclusive community you had found, I was like, whoa. Like, really, I would have never thought of it that way. So why don't you tell us why your experience there was so much better than other communities that you were a part of, even compared to your experience with the church or your experience in your schools with your black friends or white friends or in the cadets? Like, why was it that community? What about it? 
it was like I said, it was, it's just nothing, none of that really mattered anymore. It was, um, you know, it's what bands do you like, you know, mm. why, like if, if there was ever going to be an issue with somebody else in the heavy metal community, it would be over what genre of metal you listen to oh, or, really? or what band you like over other band. Like if you, if you, uh, trash talk my band, then I'll slap you <laughs> kind of thing. That's, that's the, um, the issues you do come up with. But when it comes to, um, you know, oh, you're black, you're white, like nobody really cares about that. Mm. Um, whereas if you look at churches, you have all black churches, you have all white churches and the two rarely mix. You have in schools, you have um, groups of kids where you have your the Asian group, the white group, the black group, you know, the group of that will that will mix together. I guess oh. you call it the UN group. <laughs> but again, is that what you my called group. it? Or you <laughs> that, was my, that was my group. Yeah, my group too. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah, I guess. Um, you, you got your, your <laughs> you got your nerds and, and like but the groups didn't really mix. Like everybody kind of did their own thing and there was yeah. no real I guess need to know each other mm -hmm. or really care to know each other. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the metal community, um, you know, everybody has their own interests, their own backgrounds outside of the music. But at the end of the day, the music's why we're all together. Right. And that's what's going to keep us together. Hmm. Um, like a couple of years ago, uh, on my birthday, actually, I went to a concert. I saw O Sleeper, Convictions, Famous Last Words. Um, Convictions are a Christian band. Famous Last Words are not. And O Sleeper is formerly a Christian band, but still has Christian members. Um, I met a lot of people there. Um, I've probably hugged more people at that concert than I have in my entire life. Hmm. Um, I actually don't like hugging people, so don't don't, no. don't hug. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm actually surprised hug that Luke. you hugged anybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying I, that I've like... hugged a lot of people, but if I listen to metal, though, can I hug you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was crazy because the, the the lead vocalist of O Sleeper, he actually brought me on stage handed me a mic and let me finish out their last song with them. No way. And his reasoning behind it was because he noticed through the entire set, I sang every single lyric to their song, mm. didn't miss a single beat. That's um, <laughs> it's funny, because I warned them on Instagram, like, I'm coming and I know it. I'll, you're, I will know your entire I will set. be there. He's that kind and of I'll do your set better than you. Yeah, I'm like, I, make I made sure they understood, like, yo, I know your set. Like, yeah. Whatever song you do decide, right. you, I they know. They probably Don't saw screw the up. Instagram I'll and was there. just like, that's yeah. the guy that yeah, messaged exactly. us. They knew exactly. It's funny, because they actually didn't see that Instagram post. However, I did take a lesson with the guitarist years before that, like, at least seven years prior to that. Oh, yeah? And he remembered that. Ah. He remembered me from there. So, um, yeah. There was, so when I got up on stage, like that was that was a cool moment for me. Um, and then hanging out with the, the bands afterwards, that was awesome as well. And again, like I said, like everything from race, faith didn't really mean much to them. They just hmm. thought it was cool that so many people were out to support them, get out, get along with them, hang out. Hmm. And even crazier was um, the lead vocalist, Micah. He he decided to pray for me. Hmm. We had a conversation. He decided to pray for me afterwards, and. Um, again, we're like we're strangers. Like he didn't, he didn't need to do that. He didn't have to do that, and he didn't care about who I was. It's just like we got, a, got a, had a conversation. It got deep. He's like, you know, what, let me pray for you. Hmm. And um, that's an experience I haven't had before, not even in church, hmm. where somebody, not even a pastor, would walk up to me and say, hey, let me just pray for you, hmm. um, or let me just ask how you're doing, how you're really doing. Hmm. Um, so that's why I say that that community, more than any other community, has been more inclusive and more good to me, more than any friend, family member. It's just been perfect. Wow. That's awesome. I, I, not perfect, but no, I yeah. think that's great. Pretty, pretty near perfect. I think I'd that's say. great because from an outsider, like I said, from an outsider, you see that community, you think they're very niche, <laughs> and then also like you see them fighting each other on what's metal and what's not. Yeah. I had a friend growing up who I'd be like, "Is this metal?" He'd be like, "No, that's trash. It's not metal." And I'm like, "It's all the same. Everybody's screaming in the music." And he would, and so it felt very like exclusive and very specific. And you're saying, "No, actually, 
it was is a very diverse group of people who were very open more than anybody else. I think that's awesome. And I think it's great that you found that community because it sounds like your upbringing. You didn't have you kind of felt like an outsider everywhere you went. Mm-hmm. Even if it was like with your black friends, if it was with white friends in a white school or a black school. When we were talking, you had went to a predominantly white school for a while mm-hmm. and felt like an outsider. Mm-hmm. But then you said you you told me that that you had went to like a I think a black high school, right? Or yeah. predominantly black high school, and you <laughs> still felt like an outsider. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so you felt like an outsider all your all your life, no matter what group you're in. Yeah, it was crazy because, like, when I went to um, the predominantly black school, like, it was sad to say exactly what you expect. There was a lot of gangs, a lot of, um, mm. a lot of, um, you know, incitement for violence and stuff. And I got caught up in a bit of that um, with a bit of gang affiliation there. I, I, I um, got affiliated with the Bloods gang. Um, and even then, I didn't really feel that much of a part of it because mm-hmm. you know the, a lot of these guys grew up in certain areas where the stuff they experienced was a lot harder than what I experienced right. and at every turn it just it just felt like I wasn't black enough for them mm. like because because I wasn't really willing to do certain things that they were, were down to I wasn't black enough and my blackness really came into a question mm. when it's like okay you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna roll out with us to go to, go to Scarborough to fight these guys well I guess you're not black enough you Interesting. know what I mean? mm-hmm. yeah I've actually heard that from other in the last podcast I did on this I heard the same thing where it, it was black people were questioning their own blackness mm-hmm. from their black friends have you experienced that too where it's like <laughs> I was actually literally thinking about even before he started talking about his blackness being questions I was like I was actually thinking that same thing. Like yeah. my blackness throughout my whole life here in Canada has been questioned and just like with so much scrutiny too. Like mm. it's like mm. I can't just be me. Like my identity can't just be forged from my interests and my likes and my personality and all of these things. Like mm. it's like because you're black, like you just have to conform. And it, it's just like why do I have to conform just because I'm black? Mm-hmm. Like. It just feels unfair. It mm. feels like I'm black at the end of the day. I can't change this. Right. Why do I? Why do you get to tell me what's black and what's not? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. just like it's totally unfair. Well, why don't you tell people a little bit more about <laughs> your story? Because um, you're not. You weren't born in Canada. You were born in Canada, right? Yeah. And your both your parents are Jamaican. Yes. Both okay. my parents born in Jamaica. Both your parents born in Jamaica. Mm. And then when did they move here? Um, when they were young. When my mom were... was nine. My father, I have no idea because okay. we rarely talk. But when they were <laughs> children, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And, and so, but you emigrated, um, immigrated straight from Jamaica when you were yeah. twelve. You were saying so. Tell people may not know that about you. Tell them. Yeah. About yeah. It. No. My tro- my early childhood was in Jamaica. I loved my childhood. I can't say I had any complaints, but moved here when I was about 12 years old with my whole family, mm. my mom, dad, brother. My sister was literally just born at the time. Mm. Um, and you know, for me, it's like, it's exciting. My family's on this new journey. You don't really know how to, construct. you don't know how your life is going to change. You just think it's like an adventure, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, and we traveled when we were little, went to New York and stuff like that. So I'm just like, oh, we're just going to travel permanently. That's how I'm thinking it, right? Mm. Um, but as soon as I moved here and I got integrated, going to school, I think that was the biggest eye-opener for me. You know, just going to school, I think, I, I didn't even understand how different it would be. Or I didn't, I wasn't scared, I wasn't nervous until I got there and I was like, oh my goodness, like how do I even figure out this new life, this new, I didn't even know how to piece it together at that age. Um, so I came in super shy, super observant which is not my personality at all. No. As you can see, I'm not, <laughs> not a shy person. I'm very outgoing. I'm very extroverted. I'm very loud. And that's how I was when I was growing up as well. But coming here, I was like, I didn't know how to like perceive. And, you know, I'm Jamaican too. So I have a different accent and I say things differently. So I think when I came here and I would say things differently, people would be like, 
oh my gosh, you're saying stuff like, uh, and, and I would, I would hate that because I don't want to like, I just want to be treated like a regular kid. Yeah. I don't want you to tell me to say things like say that and say that right. and say it. Cause I'm saying it differently with right. my Jamaican like you're accent. Novel, right? You're human. Yeah. Yeah. As so, a young person, I would think be like, oh, that's so cool. The way they say that I would treat you like a novelty yeah. when I was a kid. Right. And that's what you were saying. You I don't want to like, felt like that. So yeah, yeah. I quickly tried to assimilate. I quickly tried to develop the Canadian accent, get rid of my Jamaican accent, quickly tried to just pick up on different cues. There were certain things that I would say. I remember I was in school and I said, hey, can I borrow your rubber? instantly got laughed at because like at that uh, yeah. <laughs> and I just I like, but for a while I was baffled and I couldn't even conceptualize right. what are they laughing at me about and I felt like oh my god I can't. Like a pencil eraser, yeah, right? I'm trying, yeah I'm trying to ask you for but that's what we say in Jamaica yeah, that's what we call it I'm okay. trying to ask for an eraser but they're thinking something I, I don't even know right you wouldn't know that I'm just right. an innocent kid I'm very sheltered but I think oh, people had this idea like this young Jamaican black kid she's gonna be cool I'm thinking they're thinking she's Bob Marley's niece right, right. like she's gonna be chill she go tell us about Island life and I was an extremely sheltered Christian Sunday school going little girl that was just innocent to the world you mm. know what I mean and I was just like taken a guard taken back with everything that they were throwing at me like all of these just like slangs and new things and I was just like I got in I was just like I just like shoveled up in my little corner because I didn't mm. even know how to like perceive things I started doing actually really bad in school too yeah. so much my mom got mad came to the school and I was just like I had to talk to all my teachers because my mom I, I, I was doing really well in Jamaica you know but right. I started doing so bad like getting mm. 60s and stuff and my mom was like this is not acceptable and she had to figure out a way okay how can we get her to do better but it's because I was just like I felt so insecure mm. at that age of just like trying to understand and learn because I was like this is just too hard Right. And then, so I came in, people like, oh, gravitated towards me. Oh, she's going to be cool. Instantly, their hopes and dreams and expectations of me shattered. Right. Had no friends. I was excluded by myself. Ended up making friends with these two little nerds. <laughs> and that was my crew for a while. And I think because I came so like cool to them, I started opening up, started gelling, started vibing. Mm -hmm. And then starting to get more comfortable. And I think that's when I started to get exposed to more people. And then I started to be... A, like feel fully involved in that middle school community mm. but remember my interests are also I, I play guitar I already started playing guitar very well at that age so mm -hmm. I was like coming early to school to go to guitar class with the guitar teacher which mm. is this like Pink Floyd loving he has like a little mullet the widest, <laughs> widest music right. teacher you can follow but me and him he's my favorite teacher in the right. whole world because right. like he put a guitar in my hands and everybody knows how passionate about, I am about music so here is this teacher that is mm. like willing to invest time into my music and into my passion like he's my favorite teacher I go there every morning 7.30 and he's teaching me how to guitar everybody's looking at me like what? What's up with that? Like, yeah, you get what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm instantly that weird band geek now. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I start treading and making ground, it's like, and, I, and I, at that age, I'm not knowing how to perceive it. I'm just trying to do the things that I enjoy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But then I left that school eventually, did my music, and then I went to another school and left all my friends, even though I was actually able to make a good community, and I had to start all over again. Mm -hmm. So here I'm in this cycle now, and I'm like, high school was even worse. Right. <laughs> High school was even worse because like Lucas said, there's all of these communities, like there's the Af Africa and then there was Africa, this like, it's like, like yeah, we know yeah. what Africa is about. <laughs> like it's a bunch of black people that hang out together okay. and then there's like the UN group, which is the group I'm a part of. Then there's the band geeks, there's the, the jocks and remember, I'm good at sports too. So I'm into sports, right. I'm into band, I'm into getting good grades. Mm. So all of these things, they don't, 
they don't fit together. They don't fit together. And it's like, for me, finding a community in, in school was like one of the biggest challenges because it's like, I want to hang out with the black people, but then like, with the black, I'm not even listening. Like Lucas said, like, I like the music that black people don't like. I was like The Rock. I was I was into Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like a big Swifty when I was little. Right. I was like, and then I actually started getting into rock. Mm. I started getting into pop, pop rock, like punk rock. So that's what I, I wasn't into the heavy metal, but the punk rock. So I was like a lot of all time low mm-hmm. and like just simple plan. All the mm. black kids weren't listening. They were looking right. at Chris Brown and Rihanna right. and all that. I was mm. listening to any of that. And like, it just didn't intrigue me at all. <laughs> and then I got into a rock band in high school. And it's just like, I think people were like looking at me and I was just like, she's not, she's not, I was the black girl that wasn't a black girl. You know what mm. I mean? I was like, I was not doing the things that your average black girl was doing in high school. And I think that made me feel like, I don't know, it just made me feel like I didn't even know, like Lucas said, I, I had a hard time making relationships with, with, with black people. I had a really hard time finding those common interests, those commonalities, and how to like form those bonds. Because like, it's just like, at that age, it's common interests mm. is what unites you. Right. And my common interests just didn't align with those communities. And mm. it sucked because it's like, at the same time, you just want to feel accepted and loved. And you know... It's just, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of like, I don't know. I just felt like my, my, my blackness was just questioned so much. And, right. and, it's, and it, I think it got even worse because like at, at a certain point, it's like just a certain community, that's all I could like connect with. That's the people that, who I could connect to. And it's so much to the point where two of, two of three of the most serious relationships have been with white men. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's always difficulties in an interracial kind of relationship. People are even like questioning you even more. Right, right. They're just like, here she is. Wow, you just want to be white, white, don't man. you? Yeah, you yeah. know, and it's just like, I don't You're know. You're doing that to Meghan Markle like all over the internet yeah. right now. Or and it's word, like, right? It's like, yeah. Can I just be who I want to be yeah. with? Like, does it really that matter that much? Um, I think that's one of the distinctions in our experience because like I, I grew up feeling like I could play basketball or badminton or football or like I could do it any any of it or all of it whatever I wanted to whatever interest I had whatever mm-hmm. I excelled at I could listen to metal I could listen to rap I could mm-hmm. listen and 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 it was never a white guy listening to rap it was for me at least it was never the white guy on the basketball team it was I I felt free to do that I felt yeah. included in any of it just based on interest and that was because that was never a factor for me and I think that's one of the unique things I'm listening to about both your stories is that in not just the black community in the white community in the community in general you felt like an outsider and the reason why is because your race played a role in it as well as the interests mm-hmm. as well as the skills it's mm-hmm. and for me I, I think I don't know how to relate to that because why couldn't you just listen to singer-songwriter music? Because I never, for me, it would have never been the white guy listening to singer-songwriter music. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like that piece of it played a role all along. I was never not white enough. I was never too white. It just wasn't a thing. Whereas you guys have experiences where like it felt like you never fit into communities, white yeah. communities and black <laughs> communities, and it was it was the race piece that played a factor in feeling like you didn't fit in, not interests right, yeah. necessarily. So I find that really interesting. Also, um, you guys both grew up going to church. Yeah. And um, what was your your experience was sometimes find, I mean, you, you said you went to a black church for quite a while or predominantly black church. Yeah. yeah. It, well, it, it, it didn't it, start it, that way. It didn't start that way. No. I, I was at that church for over 20 years. Okay. And I remember when the, when, when I was the only black family in the church. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So then it eventually became that. Is that because that's what Brampton turned into or is it because I think of it the was leadership? That. Okay. Yeah. All right. Leadership didn't change right. a little bit. The leadership adapted. Right. It, um, 
it's, it's, it got to the point where they started adding black pastors, women pastors, black women as pastors okay. to, I guess, um, adapt to the demographic of the church and the needs of the people in the church. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and you grew up there as well since you came to, yeah. from Jamaica? That's, what, that's the church that we attended when we first moved. We, we bounced around a little bit, but then we didn't bounce around long enough. We, that was the home church from when I got here, and we just stayed there. So you saw that church as both, and maybe you did too, as both a mostly white and a couple black families, and then mostly black with a couple white families. You saw it both. Yeah. I um, mostly saw it when it was like super mixed. It was super like really mixed, in, in, but then I was also witness. So he was there when he was the only black family, but I was there when it was just like, it was nice and mixed. And then I think we both were there where it was just like, mm-hmm. oh, all the white families just left. It's just black people now. Interesting. Yeah. Black and Caribbean. Yeah. So why don't, tell me about the experience in the church. Cause we're talking about, um, we're talking, the series is all about unity. The series is all about how Jesus desire for the church is actually to be unified regardless of background, regardless of social economic status, regardless of male, female, Jew, Greek, all that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. none of that matters. We're supposed to be, treat each other like equals and be unified uh, together. That's what Jesus prayed for us as the church and to model that for our communities. Mm-hmm. So you would think if we have the power of the God of the universe and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ on our side, who says central to being the Christian church is, is being unified with the whole church, regardless of some of those differences, we would have a greater motivation of being unified. We would have a stronger ethic for unity and we would fight more for unity in the midst of diversity than even our culture does. Because what what do other people have as a motivation to fight for it other than mm-hmm. their own personal gain? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So with that in mind, tell us about your experiences in a predominantly white church with some black families and a predominantly black church with very few white families and your experience with unity in the church, in that sense, what worked, what didn't work, mm-hmm. uh, what was your experience there? Yeah. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that is a lot. lot. Let's go. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was in that. I was dedicated in that church, Christian mm-hmm. there. Um, so I was in that church since I was a since I was a newborn, really. Um, grew up there. Um, Sunday school was a blur. Mm. <laughs> I honestly don't remember that much about Sunday school except the fact that it was a lot of fun and we had a lot of snacks. Okay. Um, That's a good Sunday school experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in that church, I, I'd say I've done it all there. I've been a Sunday school teacher. I've been on the worship team. I've been a nursery worker. I've been on the sound. I've done, I've done it all there. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I could say is that church is more uniform than united. Mm. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those churches that everybody goes in a suit. Um, they, uh-huh. they do their Sunday best the whole bit. Right. Um, for the longest time, the music on the worship team was mostly hymns. Mm. Um, it was scheduled, regimented. You do it th- this way. You do it on this time. Yeah. Don't be late. Don't miss practice. Like a lot of do this, don't do this, do this. A lot of structure around it. A lot of uniformity. Yeah. You're saying. Yeah, it. for sure. And the crazy thing about it is, like, when I look back, like even the pastors' um, kids. I have a I had a good relationship with one of them when I was living in London, away university. I mean, all his, all the pastors' kids are covered in tattoos. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, they're they're literally the opposite of what their their parents are like. Like That's polar funny. opposite. Um, it's crazy. And like, we, like his, um, second youngest son, like we'd hang out, we'd smoke weed together, drink together, yeah. uh, when I was away in school and it was just kind of crazy how all that uniform and structure ended up pushing his own children away. And mm. a lot of, a mm. lot of the youth in church, not, I, I shouldn't even say just as kids, it ended up being a lot of the youth, like for a long time, I'd, I'd say the youth group that um, started there just dwindled down to myself and my brother. Hmm. Um, and you're saying that's because, uh, well, one of the contributing factors potentially is the, the, the requirement for uniformity with actually a lack of unity mm-hmm. or 
or yeah, the, the overemphasis on uniformity compared to actual unity. Is that what you're saying? 100%. Like, it, it got to the point where, like, you know, when you were growing up, having interest in music like hip hop was no. Hmm. If you're a Christian, you don't listen to hip hop. Hmm. Uh, you don't listen to rock and roll. You don't listen to heavy metal. So you couldn't show up, play drums, wearing that. Mm -mm. I did it anyway. You did. But <laughs> eventually, which is why you're not there anymore. <laughs> okay. you, it's, it's funny you say that. I will get there. Yeah, yeah, let's get there. Um, it's funny because like even with hip hop, I remember one of the youth leaders had this um, concert thing called um, the Revolution, okay. and I actually did, did um, a rap song there. And that's probably the first time that hip hop's been played in that church ever. Now they mm. do it all the time. Mm. <laughs> um, so, you know, things started to change a bit, but even still, you, there's still that um, uniform mentality. Like, mm. when, I, when I, my interest started to shift more towards heavy metal, because that's where I felt more comfortable, mm -hmm. um, I started to dress a certain way. I, I, I started to stretch my ears and stuff, and then that's when I started getting funny looks and questions, people looking like at my mom funny because of the way that they know she is and how strict she was on my upbringing. Like, oh, you really let your son looking like that now? And right. I'm like, first of all, like, you leave my family out of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my decisions are on my own, but like, you know, um, so it's a it's, similar yeah, ethic it's, it's, as um, it's a similar ethic as rules without relationship yeah. equals mm -hmm. rebellion, right? It's exactly. like it's kind of like hyper rules without relationship actually leads to just rebellion and rejection mm. and no emphasis on rules. The same sort of idea, right? With the boundaries and the uniformity. Yeah. Uh, so keep talking about it. Yeah. So like eventually, um, I was on the worship team for a long time and I started to feel less and less comfortable because like. You know, when I go to practice or when I go on a Sunday morning, like I, I felt like people didn't really want to talk to me and actually get to know me. It was more mm -hmm. of the, the whole, um, you know, hi, how you doing? Because you're supposed to do that. You know, you're supposed to greet people at church. You're supposed to right. be friendly, but it wasn't really genuine. Mm -hmm. I, at least I didn't feel like it was genuine. Like it. Yeah. Um, because when I would say things, I, you know, the funny looks would come. Like the the stupid questions would come out. Be like, oh, are you sure that's okay? Mm. So eventually, I left, and that's kind of how I ended up looking for another church. And then DeAndre talked to me about Renew, mm. um, the Cambridge location opened up. I played with them for the opening there. Oh, that's right. And then eventually, I just kind of cut ties from the old church altogether and. Now here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you started serving at Mayfield West yeah. with, with Wade and the crew. Yeah. Now, tell us, and you can be honest about some of your experiences, because that experience hasn't been perfect mm -hmm. for you. Your experience of being who you are, and you still feel, at least you've expressed to me at times, you felt like an outsider, even well, yeah. there, even though it's, we have a strong emphasis at Renew on grace over rules and relationship over rules and regulations. We talk a lot about unity instead of uniformity, which mm -hmm. is why we all look very different and sound very different and we're okay with that. But even there you felt Well, yeah, I sometimes mean, at Renew Mayfield West itself, it was, things were good because it was pretty diverse. Mm -hmm. um, people were friendly. So I felt like I was able to actually integrate well and kind of be a part of the community there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people would ask, would add, like really ask questions to the point where it was uncomfortable how many questions they were asking about me. Um, but I felt like it was a good community. That's, that's definitely the reason I stayed there. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't really until I, I started serving with youth that I really felt like an outsider because mm -hmm. when I show up to youth group and I'm the only black guy there, I'm like, well, here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> like back, like back to this again. Yeah. Um, same thing when I started going to society, I'm like, well, here we are. Mm -hmm. I'm back to being the only black guy. So it's mm -hmm. like immediately my natural reaction was to just distance myself and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, back away and observe. Because right. you're like, the representative of all black yeah. people and you're well, the only one. Like, right? Yeah. 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 Like, if, if you say the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, well, now you, you're not just representing yourself, now you represent your, your race. Yeah. Um, and 
I understand that it's not the intention of the people there for it to yeah. be that and way. And to be but fair, for those who are wondering, there, that wasn't the truth because yeah. there were a few black students and there were a few black young adults, and there are in our in our program, mm-hmm. but it was enough of a felt experience for you to feel that way. For sure. You went from Mayfield West where it's it's fairly balanced in diversity. I believe in Mayfield West and I believe still is. And then when you came to our youth program and there's like 60 people, yeah, even if there is two or three black kids, that feels like you're the the only only one. one. And they must feel that way too, right? And the crazy thing is like when you you go into that environment, you literally immediately start looking for the black people around just so you're like, okay, I see you, I see you, I see you. You know that. Like we make the eye contact if they're not like, okay, we're we're together (laughs) in this. If if, if it gets real, I got your back. It's one of those things. Uh, Unsaid. You don't have to say it. Yeah, yeah. You feel that? Yeah, this is how it's got to be. I've never felt that as the white guy. I've always been like, I'm running. I hope that I hope I hope you're done. I don't have your back. I'm on their side. Whatever. Oh, any any time there's a majority, I'm just like I'm. I'm just gonna hang with them. I'll say what I need to say. So yeah. I don't know what it's like. It's just it's I'm a coward. Basically, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but it's 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 even even when I was a cadet away at camp, like if I saw another black person, like okay, we're friends now. Actually, even if I didn't like them, it was like okay, we're, we're cool friends now. now. We yeah, have to be for sure. Because if if they go after you, I gotta I gotta step up and defend you. Is vice versa. Period. Luckily, my brother joined eventually, so now now there's two of us. You really can't deal with mm. both of us. So then let's push into that. Why do you? That's a natural response. Yeah. Right. Oh, or it's a culturally learned response. Either way, let's talk about that response. Mm. We didn't. We don't have this in our notes to talk about. Let's talk about that response. You you go into a setting where you as a as a black person in a in in a community where there's not a lot of other black people, you immediately have a connection with the other black people just because they're black, and you feel some sense of like obligation to protect them, no matter what their no matter what their merit is, no matter what their character is, no matter what their you know skills are no matter mm-hmm. what they say you immediately feel that what yeah. is that do you know this is why at to some degree we've lived the same experience mm-hmm. you know what i mean and in some degree you'll understand me better than anyone here mm-hmm. and in some degree like we just have the same kind of feelings towards certain things mm-hmm. you know what i mean and the same kind of opinion not necess- it's not always true right right you know what i mean like Lucas and I don't share the same opinion on everything, but I feel like there's just a shared lived experience that makes me feel like I just want you to, I just feel comfortable. I don't know how to yeah. explain it. No, it's that's just, fair. It's, that's it's, interesting. Cause like you, you as somebody who didn't feel like you fit in with the black community in high yeah, school, yeah. you would, even if you like today, mm-hmm. if you walked into a room where it's like this, these people listen to singer songwriter music. Yeah. They love school. They work really hard. Yeah. You know, they play guitar. They play everything. Guitar, I'm gonna go stuff. to my black. Yeah. And then there's and then there's a black person who hates that kind of music. Doesn't try hard at school. All that kind of stuff. You still are gonna. Yeah. You still naturally immediately feel Absolutely. more um, safe or more affinity or more connection with somebody who's black, even though none of your interests might be the same. Exactly. Hundred percent. Value 100%. the same things. You trust some sort of. Potential of a lived, ex- a similar lived experience. Yeah, compared. yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. No, no question, no questions <laughs> asked. It's, it's funny. It's funny you uh, you say that because like even listening to Deander's story, we've never talked about our our stories growing up in high school and stuff, but it's very similar. Hmm. Very similar. So like, and I think that's how we get along. Yeah, you, maybe, I don't listen to heavy metal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a trust there, right? There's a trust there, or at least, yeah. right? There's an understanding. I trust that you understand this part of me that yeah. that these people probably don't and may not be able to. And it's not like we're talking about that. Right. It's not like I'm only going to be friends with you because we get to talk about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, that's not even what we're going to be talking about when we mm. talk together. Right. But there's just something about when we do get to talk about whatever it is outside of it. I don't know. It just feels comfortable mm. and yeah, safe. It's, it's natural. Like even, even at work, like talking to, um, 
guys who grew up in Toronto, who grew up in like violence-ridden neighborhoods, I naturally feel more comfortable around them than around, around, around a group of white people. Why? Because these guys have lived a very similar experience I right. have, even though they've had a lot more added onto it. My, my understanding is if the circumstances were like slightly different, I could have been in their position. Mm. Slightly, not even that much would have had to change for me to be where they are. Mm. So it's just that, that knowledge and that understanding is what brings us together at the end of the day. We're all in the same boat. Mm. We're all, we all go through the same struggle one way or another. That's I wonder if reality. that's, um, and we'll, we'll talk, we'll, we'll jump to the body of Christ thing in a second, but I was just, I was, I, I'd sometimes watch prison movies and stuff like that. <laughs> are we allowed to sometimes? But it seems like yeah. in TV shows and movies and stuff like that, and I've never been in prison. Mm -hmm. I actually don't have any close friends who have spent any time in prison. So I, I don't know what it's like in a real life experience, but at least in all the movies in the show, they portray it as like, when you get there, the safest people for you are the people who look like you. Yeah. And you think like outside in our culture, we're all like, no, like unity and diversity and mm -hmm. like that shouldn't be the thing and yada, 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 yada. And then all of a sudden you look at a prison and it's like, no, those are the people you trust and rely on yeah. simply because of that one shared trait. Nothing else can be shared. Yeah. But that one shared trait matters so much and is so powerful that you're even saying in your experience, outside of those walls where everything about universe or diversity and unity is celebrated, you still feel that. Yeah. You still live almost with that. There's something almost like it's it's human about it. Mm -hmm. It's it, either it's, cultural or it's no. It's I think human. it definitely I, I'm, is. I'm trying to figure out. But yeah. What would that be? Yeah. And because it's not. We, would you guys agree that it's not God's best for us? No. Right. <laughs> Absolutely okay. not. Okay. I don't think it's God's it's best for us, us at all. Because right. like, I, I believe we're all supposed to be a family together. Right. You, me, brother and sister. Me, Lucas. Brother and sister. Me, Jake. Brother and sister. I don't believe like that's, that's God's plan. That's why mm -hmm. we're all here on earth. It's not just black people on earth. It's not just white people on earth. It's not just Latinos on earth. It's mm. all of us are on earth. And if God put all of us here, then we all supposed to be living together. Mm -hmm. But I think with history... And we've seen what's happened. And I think con conditioning and just like stories from the past and just everything that's happened, I think that has trickled down um, and kind of gotten us here where we yeah. are now, where we've we found every reason as a human nation to divide, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not even just racially, it's culturally, it's it's. Um, financially, mm -hmm. it's classism, it's economically, it's nationality. Mm -hmm. We found every possible reason to divide. And it just so happens that racial, race is one of the biggest ones. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the biggest ones that we can see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's, uh, you, can't, you can't, can't hide it. Yeah, you can't it's even change obvious. it. You don't have to say a single word or wear anything in particular. Like, it's there. Yeah. So, so it, so that might be why. And the thing is, I can possibly thing. change where I live, and I right. can possibly change how much money I make based on my education. I, hmm. it's, it's you have influence on that. Give influence yeah. somewhat. Yeah. It's still very not possible. Like uh, if I was just poor, I would just be poor. It's hard. It's a lot. It's harder. hard to get yeah. out of it. Right. You know right. what I mean? It's but there's yeah. somewhat able to change it. But with race, it's just you can't change it. So let's talk about the body of Christ here for a sec, because I think this is important. I think we're going there. Um, you walk into a church setting. You were saying this. You walk into our youth. Group, which is our church for students, and and immediately you you feel safer with the black person. You don't even know if they're Christian. Mm. You yeah, just I don't care. You, yeah, <laughs> right. You identify them, and you immediately feel feel a a brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever connection with them. Mm -hmm. Because of race, even though you're a Christian walking in a room of Christians where the whole the, the goal whole point is, ethic be, yeah. is like I should be able to walk into the church. And if this is the church and these people are believers, I should feel as much of a brotherly, sisterly relationship with, with you as I do anybody else, regardless of what they look like, how much money they have, what they wear, and all that kind of stuff. That's the goal. 
but we still walk in not feeling that, not experiencing that. Hmm. And you were mentioning that might have to do with history. That might have to do with our historical background or the experience of our ancestors, our own personal experience, but those who have gone before. So I want to press into this a little bit because I think it's important. Hmm. How do you guys think about, we, we talked about asking this question, so maybe if I ask it poorly here, you can answer it well, because <laughs> I'm probably going to mess this up. But I'm thinking about the body of Christ, and how do you think of um, equality in the body of Christ and treating one another as equals and being unified in the body of Christ at the same time as balancing um, your awareness of all the past hurt and experiences and uh, atrocities that has been done in the name of Christ or by Western people who look a little bit different, who have identified as Christians. How does that impact you today in the body of Christ and trying to be unified with the body of Christ with knowing that connected to that is all the other stuff that has happened, mm -hmm. colonization, um, just all the oppression, all the racism, and all that kind of stuff yeah. from from years past to present day. Mm -hmm. How do you wrestle with that uh, and reconcile that? <laughs> it's crazy because it's, it's difficult to reconcile for the for the sole fact that I'd say the majority of Christians, black or white, tend to pretend it never happened. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't say they pretend it didn't happen because we all know it happened. We just pretend that the church wasn't involved in it mm. when, in reality, they were the main source mm. of what was going on. Like they were the ones say, it in It wasn't power. the church. The church wasn't doing it. Yeah. Those were not real Christians. But like, who right. was in power? It well, was yeah. the church. It was those who claimed mm. to be Christian, who had control of biblical doctrine. They were using biblical doctrine to justify what they were doing. Yeah. So at some point, I'm not saying the church has to take the blame for it, but just understand that it happened. And yeah, I guess take just take the L. Take the answer and just start addressing the situation and as for what it is. Yeah. Um, Awareness of the truth is is important. Yeah, yeah, and denying it's not downplaying it is not helpful to anybody. Yeah, it, it doesn't on either it doesn't side. Help it doesn't help anybody. Being actually aware of the truth of the facts of the situation and the matter and the history mm -hmm. helps us all. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't help whatsoever. Like even if you if you look at um, for most most Caribbeans, if you look at our own families, like most of us can't really trace our ancestral heritage further back than maybe two or three generations. And that's just a result of, you know, colonialism. We can't trace our, our names, our roots, none of that. Mm. Um, and that's just the result of, you know, what the church was involved in. Mm. So how do we feel a part of the body of Christ? Well, that's, it's tough. Mm. <laughs> um, I, honest, I, don't, I honestly don't really know the answer to that per se, but I know where we try. Mm. We try to do it, but it's, it's not easy. I know mm. a lot of black people that will call Christianity the white man's religion mm. for those kind of reasons. Mm. Um, Why? Why did they call it the white man's religion? Well, it's, it's, it's because that for a lot of a lot of black people, Christianity was introduced to them through colonialism. Right. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of their plantation orders were Christians. Yeah, they, they claimed to be Christians, so that's how the, the faith was introduced to us. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I might be like, no, it was obviously a Jewish religion it started yeah. in the Middle East, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like but, history would tell you otherwise. The fact that you know places right. like Egypt, um, Sudan, um, Ethiopia have churches in the in, uh, in historically early churches would lead you to believe that no it's not a white man's religion it wasn't it could it eventually got couldn't to possibly be a white man's religion look places. where it right. started exactly it's exactly. impossible but, but your only experience with it mm -hmm. is like if you weren't exposed to it in africa and your first and only exposure to it is colonialism yeah. that's all you know you don't know the yeah. historical right. roots you don't understand that you might be even you might Somebody, somehow along the way, you might be able to read the Bible for yourself, which they weren't really letting people do, and they yeah. were cutting pieces out of it and stuff like that. <laughs> even do that. And you still wouldn't understand that this is not, this is not officially 
or even started as a white man's religion mm -hmm. and is not for the white man any more than it is for anybody else, right? Yeah. yeah. The white man, it's, it's for them as much as for every man. It's just like it's for the Jew as much as it's for the Gentile in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And so, yeah, so that's interesting. So, um, so what we're talking about here, in case we got lost, and I probably got us lost, is, um, <laughs> is the body of Christ and feeling like an equal in the body of Christ, because that's the Jesus ethic, and we all agree on that. It's not for me anymore than it's for you. I don't get mm -hmm. any more power of it more than you. It's, you know, I don't get any more grace from God than you, because yeah. I'm white, because you're black. So it's for everybody, mm -hmm. but lived experience, how do we, how has that experience been trying to come and reconcile all the historical atrocities with we're supposed to be equal and treated like this and be unified yeah. in the body of Christ. Do you have any thoughts on it? Lots. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin, honestly, um, because I guess I just want to first start by saying, like, my identity, I want to assume my identity as a believer in Christ, first off, more than anything else, not as a black woman that lives in Canada, mm -hmm, born mm -hmm. and raised. No, I want to see myself as a Jesus-loving citizen of the world. Right. You know what I mean? And I think being a part of the body of the Christ, that's what you have to do first and foremost. Because your identity, your, your, your position in the church or your position in the body of Christ is not going to be formed by anybody else but Jesus Christ himself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think once you can have that firm understanding, like, Jesus put you on the earth for a reason. God made you for a reason. You are part of the body of the Christ, whether you liked it or not. And mm -hmm. like, it's just as much my responsibility to um, reconcile with the history and everything like that, just as much as it is, your, as, as, it is yours, as it is everybody on this planet. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think we all need to first establish that as Lucas said, stuff happened in the past. Mm -hmm. Stuff happened to, to, that led to this division, that led to this separation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And how, how hard would it be for the uh, oppressed to be the ones to do most of the heavy lifting mm -hmm. in, this, in this endeavor to reconcile mm -hmm. relationship? You know, I think, I think division and, and um, unhealthy relationships is the single most um, powerful tool the enemy has to... Yes. crush the kingdom of God. Amen. You know what I mean? I think it is it's one of those things. And like, he's been so successful with all of these maneuvers mm -hmm. to, to incite. So I'm always willing to reconcile. Um, that's where my heart is. I all want peace and unity and those things. Um, it's, it's hard just to be the one to have to do the heavy lifting. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's hard to be the one that's saying like, Oh, I wish it could be this way. I could wish I could do that. And like, it's just, it's just hard. Like when you have to just peace and you just know the lived experience, know that we're already suffering. That there's all of these things. There's all these nuances and you just, at the end of the day, we're still human. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and at the end of the day, we're still all bitter right, and resent right. and they have right. this contempt. And we don't want it. Right. We don't want it. And That's this human. is, yeah, I want to wake up every day and I have to pray for that. <laughs> I have to ask the Holy Spirit to come into my heart and like shift my attitude. So, mm. so I can love the people that, mm historically have not you've always treated me with love and respect mm -hmm. as equal you know what I mean like it's it's a lie that that alone is tiring <laughs> that alone yeah. is consuming mm. um and so I think that's why it's like I guess hard to, to do <laughs> it's just because it's just hard alone to even just come to grips with your identity you know, just being a believer. And then it's harder to even have to actually live that out. You have to live like Jesus now. And mm. it's like, I, I can't, I'm not Jesus. I don't have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can only hope to be, but like, I, I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm unique with my own challenges. But I think one thing that I want to do and one thing that I would hope for all believers is that we'll just want to 
you know, give grace mm -hmm. the way God gave grace. You know what I mean? When he sent his, his, when God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, like that was the ultimate sacrifice of grace. Mm. And like, I, I have to say like grace at the end of the day is what I have to give to my brothers and sisters, even in the past. Like, mm -hmm. and I don't want to, I, I can, t I can tell you that's the big, that's the biggest thing. I don't want to, I right. don't want to give you grace. I don't want to give you grace for the, the things that you put my people through, the things that we've had to suffer through, the mm -hmm. things that were, that God is here in the first place. I don't want to give you grace. Right, right. You know what I mean? I don't want to do it, but that's where I, that's why I have to like, yeah. that's what I have to do. <laughs> right. And that's the hardest part about it. Yeah. No, that's honest. I and I like the language you're using of heavy lifting. I think, um, I think something that, so when we, sometimes when this conversation comes up and people are talking about it, it's like, well, you have all the same equal opportunities now, so what do you have to complain about? And it's like, no, there's still a lot of work to be done to achieve the goal of unity. And we shouldn't just expect the people who have been formerly oppressed to do the heavy lifting for themselves to experience equality and unity. We as at least the ethic as the body of Christ should carry that weight together. That's what we should be doing, regardless of what your background is. And so I like the language of heavy lifting because it, it actually, it gives me a picture of um, what, who's carrying the weight of it and that we should be all carrying the weight of it equally, which is the whole point of the series that we're doing is unity. The whole idea is that unity starts with you. Is not that when you're thinking about unity, you know, you can, you can be mad at other people for not for doing things that are divisive, right? You can be mad at people for posting stuff on Facebook that's divisive, right? Mm -hmm. you, fair. You can be mad at people who are like going and doing things that you don't agree with that isn't actually helping the cause. You can be mad about it. But in order to actually achieve unity, we need to take responsibility and equal responsibility. Not look at other people and go, well, if that's what you want, you need to earn it yourself. Or not look at other people and go, well, you've done all your people in the past did all these bad things to us, so it's on you. That's not going to get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening in the cultural conversation right now is it's, there's some people who are like, well, if you want it, get it for yourself. It's there for you now. Mm -hmm. you, you, have the, you have the freedom to, yeah. you have the opportunity to. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not going to produce unity. And then on the other side of it, it's like, you guys did all the wrong, so you should fix the problem. It's like, that's not going to produce unity either. The whole point of unity and talking about unity beginning with you is it, we need to carry this together. Mm -hmm. And the church should be the model of okay, the place that, that carries it together. The church should be the example of the world of what does it look like to actually take equal responsibility in unity regardless of the past and fight for it together and carry the weight equally because that's the only way we're going to achieve it. Otherwise, what we're going to do is get so frustrated. And we were talking about this before in the room where you get so frustrated, you just end up being like, screw it. Peace out. I'm, I'm going to my corner. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get tired of it because it's heavy, right? And it's a lot of work. Yeah. And so you just end up being like, that's not worth it. Or I think it's a good idea, but it's not going to be achieved if I'm doing it on my own. So I'm just going to duck in my corner, mm. you know? And that's not going to help us. That's right? not going to help the church. And that's what I believe we're supposed to strive towards. So um, so I guess I guess why don't I take this to... Kind of, I, I, we're going to wrap it up with the question of what does it mean for unity to start with you? Because I have to answer that question for myself. Mm. What does it mean for unity to start with me? Not ask it about you. I can ask you to ask it for yourself. But if we really want it, we want real unity, and we want real equality, and we believe that that's what Christ has for us as the church, then we need to be asking the question less often, what does it mean for those people? And asking the question, what does it mean for me? And the goal is, or the hope is, as a church, if you're asking the question yourself and I'm asking that question myself, well, we achieve unity. Mm -hmm. If we're able to think wisely and straight, you mm -hmm. know, and aware. And so that's the question maybe for you guys, is what does it mean to hear that unity starts with you? For you, what does it mean to mm -hmm. work towards unity? Well, for me, 
first of all, for unity to start with you, whether it's myself or anybody, you need to address that there is an issue, there mm -hmm. is disunity. Um, that's a non-negotiable. Because for unity to be achieved, if you don't acknowledge the fact that we're not united, then what are you really trying to work for? Mm -hmm. At that point, you're just lying to yourself if you say that you really want something to happen when you don't even know there's an issue. Yeah, it's not a team you're playing against. Yeah. You're just <laughs> playing your own game while you're yeah, playing Yeah, you're just kind of doing your own thing. Yeah, totally. Um, the reality is, you have to accept that there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the whole idea of unity, whether it be race, religion, it doesn't matter. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of confusion there. For black people, there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of frustration with us continuing to have a conversation, feel like it's not getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. And for, for us, I'd say we need to approach the conversation as teachers. Mm -hmm. We need to let go of the emotional side of it. And that's something I've recently started trying to do. I'm not, I know I'm not good at it. Anybody who's seen my Facebook post <laughs> knows I'm not good at it. No comment. <laughs> Y'all already know I'm not good at this. But I'm trying. I'm trying to yeah. approach the conversation as a teacher rather than just some guy who's flying off the handle and shredding anybody who says something that just tests my patience. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, yeah. it's got to change. And then for white people, for really anybody else who's on the other side of the, the conversation needs to come with the point of you probably don't know what's going on. You don't know why the individual's upset. You don't know what they've gone through. So you mm -hmm. just need to, harsh way to put it, is shut, shut up and listen. Listen, <laughs> Just listen. Yeah. And, and understand that a lot of what they say you might not agree with, but it's coming from somewhere and it mm -hmm. needs to be acknowledged at the very least mm -hmm. for things mm -hmm. to change. Mm -hmm. That's um, good. That's... The start. No, I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. So, so to clarify, mm -hmm. you're telling me that one one of your approaches is to think of your your responsibility as a teacher, rather than just somebody who's expressing their feelings. Right. You actually want to educate, mm -hmm. and that helps you tame the emotion, mm -hmm. and you believe that actually helps <clears throat> get closer to unity, which I think it does, because mm -hmm. people like me, if I ask, I want you to teach me. I don't want you to yell at me yeah. and, and, and tell me all the bad things and be emotional about it. I, I just need to be informed. Mm -hmm. So you want to help inform people, and then you're saying the second piece of it is actually listen. Mm -hmm. um, that Yeah, listen. <laughs> listen. Like, mm -hmm. actually listen. Mm -hmm. Actively listen. The, the principle is, like, every conversation you go into, there's probably something you can learn from it. Mm -hmm. And if you miss something from it, you're going to lose out on unity with that person. So approach it with a posture of, I'm going to listen. Mm -hmm. That's what you're saying. What about you, Deandra? Yeah, for me, I agree with a lot of the points that Lucas already shared as well. Um, just in the sense that we all just need to be super understanding. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Any kind of any healthy relationship starts with communicating mm -hmm. first and foremost, mm -hmm. but not just communicating, but also understanding. There has to be communication and understanding both happening to form a healthy relationship and at the end of the day that's what it's going to take to get to unity and for me I need to be understanding as well and you need to be also understanding mm -hmm. and I also need to be communicating and you also need to be communicating mm -hmm. right um and I think that's what we, we see that that's how it's healthy marriages are formed yep. through communication and understanding um, obviously trickled in with love and grace and kindness sure. and patience yeah. and all of, because, piece but, of it. Yeah. But healthy communication and understanding has those, has those things in it, yep. which is why love is a choice because mm -hmm. I can communicate to you and you can understand it, but are you going to be patient to really take in what I'm saying? Are mm -hmm. you going to be patient enough to really have it sink into your heart and mm -hmm. not just uh, take it and like have your feelings about it and just like, 
you know, run with it? Um, are you going to be kind with the information that I'm going to tell you? Because it's mm. going to be vulnerable information. You know what I mean? It's going to be sensitive information. Are you going to be kind when I share with you the things that I'm sharing with you? Mm-hmm. You can understand it, but mm-hmm. you're going to be kind now when you to receive it mm-hmm. and to, to share to, 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 to share it with anybody else that you share it with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think unity in that regard, it, it, it's it has to come up from a place of like wanting to be like God, like wanting to be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, and I, I think that's why I love. Jesus so much is because like he exemplified so much of what unity could look like. You know what I mean? Walking on this, walking, just, you can see the way that he lived his ministry. It was, it was the most unifying ministry that has ever existed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and like, to me, unity doesn't start with me. It starts with Jesus Amen. in me. Right. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because me, I can't do anything mm. about, I can't do anything to unite me and you, and I can't do anything to unite black people, white people, Asian people, all of these. I know who can, though. Jesus. Amen. Jesus in me can do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, Jesus in your, all of us. Your natural tendency, your fleshly desire is division. Like, yeah. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. Like, your, 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 your natural posture is to walk in and to identify differences, right? And it's actually unnatural, i.e., it's against our sinful flesh to walk in with the posture of unity. What is natural is to walk in with the posture of identifying with people who are similar to you and like not associating with people who aren't. Right? Yeah. And you're saying that's, that's the work that Jesus actually does in your life. It motivates you, not just motivates you, but gives you the primary ethic to pursue unity in the midst of your natural carnal desire yeah, it's hard. to devile. Because left to my own devices, that's what I do too. Yeah. Like division is natural for me. It's very mm-hmm. natural for me. It's a lot easier for me. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, for me, when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking, unity starts with you. What does that mean? Uh, for me, it means I assume responsibility. It means that if unity starts with me, it means that I am responsible for the disunity in my life. And that could be a relationship with a family member that has gone sour. Mm-hmm. That could be a relationship with a friend that got lost. That could be a you know church-to-church relationship that is competitive. That could be all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, I need to assume that the disunity that I'm experiencing in my life starts with, with me mm-hmm. or as a result of me or I'm responsible for. And there are plenty of cases, you guys know this, there are plenty of cases where you reach across the aisle and there's a closed door mm. and somebody cuts you off. But you should still always assume responsibility and you can walk away from those things and move on to other things in your life, but you should always assume that if there is disunity in your life, you have a possibility to you ha- Well, you, you at least are responsible to initiate. You're not responsible to wait for initiation. You're responsible to initiate. And that's what Jesus does in us. That's mm-hmm. what we have. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us mm-hmm. in our life. Or, or, I, I, I think so. I would hope so. And I shouldn't expect that of other people. And if I'm expecting other people to be more spiritually mature or more wise than me, well, then I just have some growing to do and some responsibility to take, you know? But if I think of myself as a mature, wise, responsible, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-following person, then then what comes with that for me is, is I need to initiate, which is why, like, when you post stuff on Facebook, if I just read it and go... Ah, Luke's out there. He's done. Whatever. You know what I mean? Or, Fair or assumption. He's making his own decisions. Mm. He's an adult, right? He's mm. entitled to that. I don't agree with him, but whatever. Mm-hmm. That that could be my res- that could be the response, and that's what a lot of people do. Yeah. But I don't think that. I think if if Luke's feeling this way, then 
well, there's something going on here and I should be the one who takes initiative to reach out. Mm. And the same is true with other people in our church. I think we need to maintain that posture. So guys, thank you for this conversation. Is there anything you, you really wanted to get off your chest that you didn't get a chance to? Because I don't know if we're going to be able to do this long conversation again. <laughs> we're an hour in, but we might as well add it at the end here instead of <laughs> try to figure out how to do this again. So is there anything left on the table? There's tons left on the table. There's tons left on the table, but like I feel like what we talked about today was like, I believe God was in this conversation, you know what I mean? And I think at the end of the day, like what was said was was said. I, 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 we prayed before this. We prayed that God would guide these conversations and that would shed light on whatever area that needed to be shed light on. So I, I honestly thank you, Andrew, for like allowing Lucas and I to like be here to just explore these mm-hmm. topics, explore these discussions. Cause it's like, we've never even done it together. Right. And, and, and so to be able to do this, mm-hmm. I think, like you said at the beginning, it's a start. It's mm-hmm. not the solution, but mm-hmm. it's definitely a start. Yeah. Um, and we got to start from somewhere. So I'm, I'm yeah. glad that it's happening here at Renew Church. Yeah. That's great. Lucas, any last yeah, no, I, I appreciate the, um, the opportunity. Um, and I'm really thankful for it. Like, like, like you said earlier, we've been going at it, for quite a while now. Um, the conversation has definitely gotten lost in translation at some points, mm-hmm. but the fact that we're able to uh, sit down together and actually have a constructive and directional conversation is definitely a start in the right, a start and uh, movement in the right direction, yeah, is what I'm sure. trying to say. Um, hopefully it continues, yeah. um, and I'm looking forward to see what comes out of it. Um, but yeah. It's good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I honestly appreciate your vulnerability. Both of you guys being here it takes courage and vulnerability to do this. And so we appreciate you guys doing this. And you bless our church. People who listen to this, if you listen to this all the way to the end here, I hope that you learned something from it. I hope you gained something from it. If anything, I would be inspired. I'm going to watch this over and just be inspired by the things these people say. And I got to sit here and listen to it. So I assume you will too. Um, And our hope is that it's actually helpful and constructive to you in the conversations that you're having, in the ways that you're trying to lead in unity, take responsibility for unity in your life, in your homes, in your marriages, in your communities, in your church, in your groups, in your workplaces. And, uh, And I just pray that we can be the type of church and type of community that actually leads our culture in Christ-like unity, uh, something that, that they're not used to seeing. And I pray that that is actually a testimony to God's goodness in our life, the work that God does, the transformative work that God does in our life. And so that's our prayer. That's our hope. Thanks for tuning in to the Renewed Church podcast. If you listened or you watched, please subscribe to the channel that you're watching or listening on for more content in the future. We love you. Take care. And we'll chat soon.